Welcome to the Brazil Institute podcast, a production of the Woodrow Wilson Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Bruna Santos, and in the following episodes, you will listen to a different voice. Introduce you to Talita Fernandes, who will be your host in the next five episodes on the future of Brazilian democracy. Talita is an experienced journalist who has covered Brazilian politics for more than 10, than 10 years, and she's joining us for a particular project discussing the future of democracy. This series is part of Brazil 100, a project in partnership with the Brazilian Report that explores the implications of Lula's first 100 days in office. The project's interviews, podcasts, and articles will focus on the country's key challenges and the political landscape. I invite you to visit our website and to follow us on social media to gain insight into the strategies and policies that the newly elected President Lula and his team are taking. Talita, welcome. Hi, I'm Talita Fernandes, and as Bruna has just introduced, I will be your host for the next episodes to discuss the future of Brazilian democracy. Today, I will start by presenting the significant challenge for the new president of Brazil, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. He took office on January 1st after defeating former President Jair Bolsonaro by a slim margin of fewer than 2 million votes, the narrowest in Brazilian history. After being elected, Lula knew he would face a big challenge, as the country was divided. While he won the post with 60% of votes, Bolsonaro still has expressive support from the Brazilian population. A recent survey indicated that 39% of the population does not see Lula as a legitimate president. They still believe he has not received the majority of the votes. A partir de 1 de janeiro de 2023, vou governar para 215 milhões de brasileiros e brasileiras, e não apenas para aqueles que votarem em mim. Não existe dois Brasis. Somos um único país, um único povo, uma grande nação. But besides all this demanding scenario, just one week after Lula's inauguration, Brazil faced its biggest challenge. The offices of legislative, executive and judiciary power were invaded and destroyed by Bolsonaro supporters while they were claiming for military intervention. The invasion happened after almost two months of Bolsonaro supporters camping in front of, of the army headquarters in many Brazilian states, including the capital, Brasilia. It has been announced that a Brazilian version of the January 6th could happen. Still, the attempt of a coup on January 8th proved to be worse than expected. Apparently, the security forces failed to avoid the anti-democratic invasion which is under investigation. More than 1,500 people were arrested. The federal district governor, Ibanez Rocha, was removed from office by a Supreme Court decision. And the former public security secretary, Anderson Torres, who is also Bolsonaro's former justice minister, was imprisoned. There are similarities between the two cases, the capital invasion and the Brazilian riots, but also relevant differences as we discuss different nations. To help me discuss that, I invited Natalia Viana, 
an awarded Brazilian journalist who is the director and founding member of Agência Pública, a non-profit and independent investigative news outlet which is focused on covering human rights. I decided to invite Natalia because she and her team have dived deep into the most recent challenge to Brazilian democracy. Natalia, thank you for joining us. So, to start our conversation, could you introduce yourself, please? I'm Natalia Viana. I am the executive director and co-founder of Agência Pública, which is an investigative uh, news agency in Brazil. We are a non-profit, and uh, what we do is we investigate especially human rights violations and human rights issues in Brazil. Of course, with the huge crisis that Brazil is facing, which is not dissimilar to what the U.S. is facing, we have been covering more and more the threat to democracy and, you know, the recent attempted coup in Brasilia. During our conversation, Natalia also brought up an analysis of the army's participation in Brazilian politics and why it matters for our discussion here. But it will be discussed in the next episodes. In 2021, she published a book called Dano Colateral, which covers the impact of the army actions on public security in Brazil in the last decade. To start our conversation, I asked Natalia if she could explain why Brazil's democracy is under threat. I think there is no doubt that is under threat. If anybody had any doubt before what happened in 8th January, this doubt has dissipated. What has been happening in Brazil is that we are facing the challenge, an unprecedented challenge of a populist, uh, of a digital populist. For a better understanding of what is going on today, we need to go backward on Brazilian's recent history. Let's start with how Jair Bolsonaro, a retired military and an expressive congressman for almost three decades, became president. Let's go back to 2018. So Jair Bolsonaro was elected in Brazil in a vacuum of power in 2018. The reason he was elected uh, is because Lula, who was the favorite uh, candidate, was arrested and was imprisoned. He was imprisoned because the Supreme Court had decided to create an exception on its own uh, understanding of when people should be in jail. Uh, this exception lasted for only two years, and it was reversed two years later. So this exception, if you look at it, you know, through the lenses of history, really only served to keep Lula out of the race. Now, with Lula, who is has been and is still an extremely uh, popular leader, out of the elections, Bolsonaro managed to gather up uh, the anti-establishment and feelings that have been, you know, growing in Brazilian society, but not only in Brazilian society. You see the same in the U.S., you see the same in many countries. There is an anti-establishment uh, feeling, but also a lot of dissatisfaction in general with democracy. Bolsonaro ruled for four years basically following the same uh, playbook that Donald Trump used in the U.S., which is ruling by being divisive, polarizing, uh, 
criticizing the other powers, attacking whoever was not with him as an enemy, as an enemy of the people, as an enemy of the will of the people, and especially by hiding his own inefficiency as a president, as in inefficiency as not being able to lead the different parts uh, of government or different powers in one direction, by attacking the other powers. So saying, for instance, they don't let uh, Bolsonaro run the country or he's being stopped. And Trump did the same. What this allows in terms of discourse, in terms of narrative, is for the president, the man who is the most powerful in the country, to claim that he's actually not establishment, he's anti-establishment, and he's trying to fight powerful forces. So the way that they've ruled, both of them, allows them to keep the narrative that engages the audience in this whole anti-establishment, say, ethos that is growing and has been established in society. Now, right now, what happened is, much like Trump, Bolsonaro has started seeding mistrust in democracy and very specifically in our uh, voting system, which is, which is through electronic ballots. And Bolsonaro has been saying that they are fraud-ridden, they are prone to fraud for about since he was elected, actually. And this and many of his very close allies, and I mean, it's not like people who are not known. These are federal, these are congressmen and congresswomen. These are ministers. These are uh, people who are former army generals. They've all been saying that, you know, the, the electronic ballots cannot be trusted. Now, this has become a very, very big narrative, disinformation narrative, fake news narrative, that was widely, you know, believed by a big part of the population. And then when Bolsonaro lost, you know, the the, the coolest proper, proper plan came to force. There were several attempts at uh, destabilizing the, the, the peaceful transition of power. So let's do a recap on the point that Natalia said that Bolsonaro ruled using the same playbook as Trump did. As the American leader, Bolsonaro did not admit he was defeated. He left Brazil on December 30th, two days before Lula's inauguration. As expected, the former president refused to transfer power to his adversary. Instead, he flew with his family to Orlando, in Florida, in the United States. It also took Bolsonaro two days to come to the public after Lula defeated him on October 30th. Os atuais movimentos populares são fruto de indignação e sentimento de injustiça de como se deu o processo eleitoral. During his speech, he said that people were protesting because they were indignant about the poll's results, which encouraged people to keep camping in many cities asking for the military to intervene to prevent Lula from taking office. So this created an instability. What we are saying is that the peaceful transition of power is extremely important, especially if you have, you know, a divided nation, if you have uh, a polarized society, which is the case of Brazil. Uh, right now, what we know in terms of why is it still under challenge is that there is a huge portion of the population that really believes that there was fraud in the elections, even though there is absolutely no evidence for that, nothing that supports this claim. So we've had the OAS, we've had the Carter Center, we've had several international observers 
in Brazil during the elections, they all guaranteed that there was no there was no issue. The elections went smoothly. First, Lula won. He was ahead in every single trustworthy poll. What happened was what was supposed to happen. There was no surprise here. But there is a significant part of the population that still believes that there was fraud and therefore do not believe our our democracy anymore. It, they do not believe that democracy works. Uh, it has been shown uh, that 25% of the people say that they are Bolsonaristas, 32% say that they are, you know, pro-Lula, pro-PT. But, the, but this is a huge portion of the population is running for. So... What we have is a society that does not understand what really happened. This creates a lot of challenges. There's two things that are completely new in this situation. One of the things is that this is a massive movement. It's not one person. Of course, the people who went to actually invade the Congress, they were not too many. They were, well, were 4,000. It's not little, but it's not huge. They were expecting millions, as much as uh, Trump was expecting millions to invade the 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 capital, and I'm taking this from the General Six report of uh, of the U.S. Congress. But it's still a lot of people. So you've got like fifteen people, fifteen thousand, fifteen hundred people in jail, which is completely unprecedented. And many of these people are not, say, serial criminals. These people are, you know, people who are gullible enough to really believe that there was fraud, and they are, you know, following leaders who are micro leaders, medium leaders and and, and, and and big leaders, anywhere they would be called. So this is this is a social phenomenon. This is not only a criminal issue, it is also a social phenomenon. The second aspect that is absolutely unprecedented, and this is something that I've been trying to point out a lot by you know giving interviews but also writing articles to the US press, is that this is a transnational story. It's a transnational coup. I call it, some people may say that I'm exaggerating, but I call this a transnational conspiracy to subvert democracy. You cannot see what happened in Brazil in January 8 without looking at January 6 in the US and vice versa. You cannot see what happened in January 6 in the US without looking at Brazil. There is two groups which are actually family groups that are in constant exchange with each other exchanging, you know, tactics, ideas, how to move forward, and also political uh, political backing. We've investigated the ties between the Trump, the Trump family and the Bolsonaro family. As Natalia has mentioned, this problem is not just restricted to Brazil. After the news of the riots on January 80th, international leaders such as President Joe Biden quickly condemned the attacks. In most recent speech during the Martin Luther King's Day celebration, Biden said, I doubt whether any of us would have thought, even in Dr. King's time, that the literally the institutional structures of this country might collapse. Like we're seeing in Brazil, we're seeing in other parts of the world. But as democracy problems are not resumed to leaders and how they behave, in the next episodes, we will discuss relevant topics related to the moment we are living. This project is planned and executed by Brazil Institute. The coordinator is Bruna dos Santos and script and narration were done by me, Talita Fernandes. In the next episode, we will discuss misinformation 
in how the usage of technology affects democracy. Stay tuned and see you soon. The Brazil Institute podcast is produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. To learn more, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org/brazil. Until next time, thanks for listening.